0: I thank you for who you are. I thank you for what you've done. I thank you for your son. Thank you that we can rise from the grave, Lord. Thank you that you have given us victory over death. I thank you, Lord, that there's a life everlasting. Thank you for who you are. I just pray you bless this time. Speak through me. Open up our hearts. Open up our minds to receive your word today, Lord, as we come uh, for you. It's not about us. It's all about you, and I thank you for that. In Jesus' name I pray. All right, so let's go ahead and read from Scripture. Today we're going to read from Philippians 3, um, 4 through 14. And it says, Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he, he may be confident in the flesh, I more so. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of knowing knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. And be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by God, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering, being conformed to his death. If by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have uh, apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those that are behind and reaching towards what is ahead. I reach towards the prize uh, for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So as you know, um, I am not Pastor Shannon. <laughs> Uh, My name is John, I work with, I'm the director of youth and young adults, I work with the middle school and high school students, Um, so just so you heard that correctly, I am not a middle school or high school student, I work (laughs) with the middle school and high school students. Um, My wife and I have been here a total of 30 days, so 30 day anniversary, awesome. It's been such a blessing, thank you so much, we're so happy to be here. Um, and so kind of as we recap, so we have a series going on, The Way of Jesus. And so uh, this is our fourth week. I think we have 17 weeks. Um, so make sure we're listening to those. I think they're online. Eventually, we're going to have a podcast up where you can listen to those things throughout the week. Our first week, we talked about uh, loving God. And uh, Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 5 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. And we know in the New Testament, you add it, with all your mind. And then the second week, we talked about loving your neighbor. Leviticus 19, 18 says, do not seek revenge or bear grudge against one of your people, but love your neighbor as yourself, for I am the Lord. Um, And so what I love about what Jesus says when he comes and they ask him, hey, what's the greatest commandment? And he says, well, love God, uh, but also love your neighbor. But I love that he answered the greatest thing you could ever do is to love somebody, right, and to love God. And I think that's so beautiful, and then last week, we talked about scripture. How we need to hide scripture in our heart, how we need to memorize it, how we need to spend time with it, and how we need to get to know it. And this week, we're going to talk about an idea that's kind of countercultural, right? Our culture that we live in says, right, think about us, think about you. We live in a culture that's all about the iPhone, the iPad. It's all about me. It's all about my likes. It's all about my social media. And so we're going to be talking about something. Um, it's kind of counter to that, right? We're going to talk about an audience of one, and how do we keep an audience of one? What steps do we need to take in order to keep Jesus our audience of one? Um, I have a constant reminder that life goes too fast. Is anybody with me on that, right? Um, When I was in middle school or high school, time seemed to just stand still, And it was just there forever and ever, and I was in school forever and ever, and I was in church forever and ever, (laughs) and it just seemed like it just wouldn't end. But now, I mean, it's kind of crazy. Uh, Believe it or not, my 10-year high school reunion uh, was this past summer. And I'm just thinking, like, 10 years? Like, I feel like I just graduated. And every week, I'm holding on to the days, I'm holding on to the hours, I'm holding on to the minutes, but yet I just can't. And then I think, wait, what did I even accomplish last week? right? Like, what did I even do? Like, what is happening here? Um, There's a quote that I love. Um, It's by a guy, James Oswald Sanders, in his book, Spiritual Leadership, and it says, "Um, the heights by great men reached and kept were not attained by sudden flight, but they, while their companions slept, were toiling upward in the night. And so that's saying, like, if you want to do something great, like, you got to work for it, right? You got to do it. Like, when others are sleeping, you got to go for it. You got to get after it. And, and I think, like, I'm, I'm, like, driven by this idea of, like, doing something great. And when I was in high school, when I was in middle school, when I was in college, like, I was driven by this idea of, like, I want to do something great, right? I want to do something awesome. I want to do something where I'm going to be known for, like, ever, right? Where everyone, like, you can Google me, and you'll see my picture. Like, that's what I want. And it's funny. I actually do Google myself, and I, my picture is not there, so... I don't know if we have any, like, tech people that can help me out with that. that would, that's a life, <laughs> life dream right there. Um, but, right, we're driven by this idea of wanting, right, to, to be known, to be great, and ambition is great. But whose ambition was I after? I was after my own ambition, right, making my name great and not Jesus' name great. And so, living for that audience of one. So, in order to truly follow Jesus, the way of Jesus, we need to live with an audience of one. And so, as we kind of go through this, and we're going to see a bunch of parallels in our points, but we're going to use Jesus as a kind of cornerstone in paralleling um, kind of things that are against our culture, against our society, against even our worldview, against our traditions. Um, And we're going to see how Jesus fits along those crevices of our lives and our motives. And it's kind of hard, right? Because you can't really, like, see motives all the time. But we're going to do our best to kind of enter that space. And one thing that I love about Jesus um, is he's so confrontational, right? (laughs) Like, if you read the Gospels, like, he's not like, okay, great, that's cool, awesome. Like, good for you. No, he's, like, confrontational, right? In John chapter 3, when he says he must be born again, and he was talking to Nicodemus, right? That's, like, confrontational, right? When Jesus says, like, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not thirst, right? Who have living water. I'm the resurrection and the life, right? In John chapter 20, when the guards come to arrest him, and he says, I am he, right? That's, like, confrontational, and then when Jesus said, right, eat my, eat my flesh and drink my blood, like, I don't know about you. Like, if I read that out of context, I'd be pretty terrified, right? Jesus is in, like, a state of being confrontational, but he does that because he loves us. But yet when I'm confrontational, I'm just confrontational, right? Like there's no like safe space for me. But Jesus, he's loving when he does it. And there's a point when he does it because he wants to enter your heart. He wants to love you, and he wants to shape you, and he wants to give you a purpose. And that's kind of what we're going to be talking about today in John chapter 80. So in order to become like Jesus, we need to understand that we are not the point, right? And I think in our lives, we love to be the point, right? I love it when people, like, are, are praising me. Or, how many people love it when, pe- when people sing happy birthday to you? Is that anybody? <laughs> but who loves the idea of getting a birthday party, right? You love that idea more, right? Like, it's all about me. Like, yeah, let's do that. But your introverts are like, no way. Like, I don't like any of that. No way. And so we live kind of in this culture of it wanting to be about as uh, Jesus in John chapter 80 verse 50, he says, I am not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. It's kind of interesting that here Jesus says, I am not seeking glory for myself. Isn't that kind of weird? Like he's the God of the universe, the creator of heaven and earth, right? He formed everything, formed us. And yet he says, I am not seeking glory for myself. And I think that's interesting, but that's such a huge way of Jesus and very countercultural to what we do or in our hearts of hearts, feel. And so what does Jesus mean when he says, I do not seek my own glory? I think it's twofold. I think the first thing is he's saying, I don't seek the glory of this world, right? I'm not, I'm not here to seek the wealth. I'm not here to seek the prestige. That's right in Matthew chapter four when Satan is tempting Jesus and, and he tells him, hey, I'll give you all of these things right now if you just bow down and worship me. What's he do? He doesn't, right? Because he's not seeking glory for himself, at least worldly glory. And I think the second thing, it means if, Jesus is seeking the Father's glory somewhere in that. If our eyes are open, that really means that Jesus is getting the glory, right? And I think that's beautiful because his ambition is to let the Father know, hey, I'm going to lay my life down all for you according to your will. In Philippians 2, 6 through 8, it says this, Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Rather, he made himself nothing, Again, not seeking his glory. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. Right? Even death on the cross, he humbled himself because he knew that he wasn't going to seek his own glory. Right? He knew that he was going to be obedient to what God had called him to. And I think that's so beautiful. So if Jesus was seeking glory for, his, for himself, when he came, he would have been the actual king of the Jews at that moment. right? If he was seeking glory for himself, he would not have chosen the 12 disciples that he chose, right? the band of misfits. He wouldn't have chosen them. Right? He would have chosen the cream of the crop. He would, have not, let, he would have not have let Satan even tempt him. He would have not allowed someone he knew who was going to betray him to be part of his team. If he wanted glory for himself, he wouldn't have washed his disciples' feet. If he wanted glory for himself, he wouldn't have been spat on. He wouldn't have been crowned of thorns. He wouldn't have been hit. He wouldn't have been stripped. He wouldn't have been flogged. He wouldn't have done these things if he was seeking the glory for himself because he was in the understanding that it's an audience of one, right? I do what I do, not for me, but for my Father. And I think it's so beautiful. And as we kind of recap our Philippians chapter 4, chapter 3, verse 4, this is Paul the apostle in the scripture that I just read. And this is kind of him talking, right? His idea of like, hey, it's not about me. It's not about us. It's not about what we've done. It's an audience of God. And he goes on and he says, if someone else thinks they have reason to confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regards to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, and righteousness, I'm faultless. And so here's Paul's resume, right? If everyone thinks they're so great and everyone thinks they're so awesome, like, this is what I've done. I've done this. I've done that, right? I'm I'm a Jew by birth, right? I followed the law. I persecuted the church. But then he goes on to say in verse 7, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I just don't feel like that. You know, like counting everything as a loss, right, for the goodness of knowing Jesus, right, because sometimes Jesus isn't always first in my heart. I don't know if I'm alone in that, right? But as we live in this world, and as we walk, and as we breathe, it's this understanding, and we're at this constant battle of, of me versus, right, the, my flesh versus the spirit that's inside of me. And I think we're going to be in this constant battle forever, right, of, of what do we do, how do I do it, why do I do it, what are my motives. And I love, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ, because Paul knew that in his journey, he wasn't the point. Do you think Paul would have suffered what he suffered if he was the point? No, he just would have married, settled down, got an okay job making tents, right? He would have, like, been fine. But 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 he knew God didn't call him to that. God called him to not be the point. So what did he do? He went out and he was a missionary. He was the reason why the gospel went to so many new cities and so many new lands because he laid down his life and said, Jesus, I am not the point. What do you want me to do? Right? Same thing in Isaiah. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah says, Here am I, send me. Here am I, send me. As Sarah and I were uh, kind of praying through coming here, and we were kind of, uh, we came and we applied. um, And this was a verse, actually, that's kind of funny, is that's a verse that Sarah and I have had memorized since we were in high school. And it's a verse that we've had, uh, we've kind of prayed through and we've kind of trusted God with, and it's kind of funny um, how, how he uses those prayers that an innocent or, I guess, naive, right, 15-, 16-year-old is praying at night and memorizing and meditating on. Here am I, O oh Lord. Send me. Send me. It's not about me. Send me. And so in all this, I've learned a lesson. Be careful when you pray scripture because, <laughs> because you never know what God's going to do with that but I think it's so beautiful, right, that God has a plan, but if it was about me, right, if it was about my comfort, I would have stayed in LA where all of my family is, right, if it was about joy, right, I would just be doing whatever I wanted, I wouldn't be married, right, if it was about, like, I would be, uh, oh, my bad, I didn't mean it like that, right, i meant I'm meant, because we, as people, are naturally selfish, right, we want, I love you, um, I'm just going to walk off stage now um, and have someone holier than me finish up. But uh, if anyone uh, can take me out to lunch, that'd be great. So, um, but this idea of wanting things for ourselves is, is like natural, right? Like we want things for us. We want to be in comfort. We want to be happy, right? We want these things, but we have to realize that the way of Jesus, the cost of discipleship means that it's no longer about us, right? And we're going to get into that a little bit later, but the verse goes on. We're going to skip to verse 14. It says, I press on towards the goal to win the prize which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And then before that, he says, but I haven't even attained this yet, right? I'm not even there yet. I know what God has called me to, and I haven't attained it yet, but I'm going to keep going, and I think that's where we are, right? We're at a state where we're not attaining it. And some days we're like not even close, right? But then some days when we come to church, right, we're a little bit more holy. And then it's a little bit more closer. But he says, I press on towards the goal. I keep going because I have an understanding and I know that I'm not the point. And the cross calls us to live for him for an audience of one. And if we're an audience of one, that means we live with purpose, Live with purpose. Colossians 3, 1 through 2 says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. So we have to understand that we were created by God for God, right? By God for God. We were not created by God for us, by God for our spouse, right? By God for my job, Right by God for my name by God for God. Right, His purposes are going to be played out in the loving God and the loving others. Right, because when we love God and when we love others, we're fulfilling His commandments. So then, eventually, I am loving my wife. I am being a better husband if I live for God. Right, and because it's so funny, whenever my wife and I start arguing, I kind of do a self-reflection of. Have I read my Bible as much as I should this week? Have I prayed as much as I should this week? I have a friend who uh, just graduated a few years ago from. Uh, college or high school, and so uh, when you're a young college student, you have no money, <laughs> and so you just kind of have to live life. And it was his younger brother's birthday party, and his older brother has like a really nice job, so he got him like like 15 toys, like 15 presents, and all these awesome things. And then my friend is just kind of sitting there, and we're kind of having this conversation. And he and then he was talking to um, me, and he was saying, "Man, I just I just don't have anything to give him, but what I do." have is I'm going to try my best to be the best reflection of Jesus that I can. I think at the end of the day, like, that's the best present, right? But guys, that's no excuse for an anniversary gift. So, yeah, don't, don't do that. Yeah, I've tried, and it doesn't, no, just kidding. It just doesn't work, right? We are created by God for God. Isaiah 43 says, 43.7 says, God created us For his glory. Isaiah 49 says, God called Israel for his glory. God rescued Israel from the Philistines for his glory. Romans 9 says, God raised up Pharaoh for the glory of his name. God defeated Pharaoh at the Red Sea to show his glory. Ezekiel 20, God spared Israel in the wilderness for his glory. 1 Samuel 7, God gave Israel victory uh, for his glory. First Samuel 12, God did not cast away his people while they were in the, in the chaos for the glory of his name. Ezekiel 36, God restored Israel for the glory of his name. So in order to live for an audience of one, we need to live for purpose and for him. Uh, 2 Corinthians five thirteen through 15, it says, If we are out of our right mind, it is for Christ. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And if he died for all, those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them. And so what's that saying? Right? Jesus is saying, I've died for you. Right? So you are now dead. Right? So those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them. That's called living purposefully. And I think that's so beautiful, and I think that's so wonderful that God has called us for purpose, right? We were not just created to live and and to breathe, right? And to enjoy, then to die, then to be in the ground forever and ever. But he called us for life, right? I ran out of that grave. I have life. I have purpose. I have meaning. I have hope. There's hope in this world. And so if you're here today and you don't feel that hope, let me encourage you that God has a purpose for your life. He has a plan for your life that's far more um, better than anything we could comprehend. Right? And so when we're living for an audience of one, we're driven and we're living for purpose. But what I love about that is there's an idea of an invitation. Hey, I'm giving you purpose, so come join us. Right? Come join us. Be part of what's going on. Be part in the kingdom. Be part in what is happening here. And there are a lot of things happening here at First Press. And so be part of that. And I encourage you to talk to some because God has called us to something great. Sometimes we don't step into that, right, because of our own whateverness, but God has called us to something great. And so the last thing here, in order to follow in the way of Jesus and have an audience of one, we need to check our motives and our actions. So what drives us, right? What moves us? Why do we wake up, right? What is the point? Second Corinthians 4, 16 through 18 says, Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary afflictions are for achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So if we fix our eyes, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And so this whole idea of audience of one, we know as Christians God has called us, um, to live a life in front of others, right? There's a public life that he has called us to in community with each other so that our works and what we do, that they'll see Christ through how we live, right? Because Christianity, as we know, was not meant to be in a box, not meant to be in a small box, not meant to be in a big box, not meant to kind of just pull him out as you need them, right? We know that Christianity wasn't meant or Jesus wasn't meant to be in a box, but it was meant to be lived out. But there's also a part of an audience of one that means just kind of solitude. I mean, just one-on-one. So for the next three weeks, Pastor Shannon's going to be unfolding prayer in solitude. He's going to be unfolding how we need to do good works, not for everybody to see, right? Everybody look, I'm walking somebody across the street, right? oh, yeah, I'm sorry, I'm late for work. I had a, somebody, uh, their car wasn't working, and so I really had to help them. You know, like, like God didn't call us to do things like that, right? Sometimes he called us to the secrecy of good gifts, right? When we give, we don't need to say, hey, everybody, I'm giving this person so-and-so, right? Sometimes we just need to do, it, and he's called us to that life, and then he's also going to be talking about fasting, Right? right, don't fast and tell everybody, oh, guys, don't talk to me. I'm in a bad mood because I've been fasting, right? God didn't call us to something like that, but he called us to this idea of, of an audience of one, and I think it goes in um, a heart check and, a, and um, a motive check in what we're doing. Because I think a lot of the times it's just as simple as, God, I want to offer my life to you. Because as we read the Gospels and as we read about Jesus and we read about Paul, those people were driven by Jesus. Everything that they did, and my prayer, my hope for my life, and our lives, is that we are driven with the same passion in who Jesus is, right? Because as we know, time goes by very fast. Time goes by very quick, and I don't even remember what I did yesterday, right? Like, it just goes by so fast, and I think God has called us to something greater than what we've been stepping into, and most times, it's in the audience of one, it's in, I don't care about whatever else is going on here, right? I just care about Jesus. So here's an example. Let's say you randomly at this moment combusted into flames. Boom, you're on fire. I know it's not going to happen, right? Unless you are super in the spirit. But <laughs> um, so boom, you're on fire. What is, your, what is your first thought? What do you guys think? Stop, drop, and roll. Is your first thought like, oh, man, I hope my hair looks good? right? (laughs) It's your first thought, like, oh, did my shirt get untucked, right? Oh, no, like, what's going on? Oh, I don't know, middle school, high school kids, right? Oh, is that, like, cute girl or boy, like, looking at me or whatever, right? Like, like, what is our, like, first thought when that happens? It's none of those things, right? It's, like, get out of my way. I need, I'm, like, dying, right? Like, get out of my way. I need to go stop, drop, and roll. I need to go, like, jump in a pool. I need to go do something, and I think our relationship with God should be the same way, Right? It doesn't matter who's raising their hands, who's not. Right? It, does, it doesn't matter who's looking at me, who's not. It, it, it doesn't matter. Right? Because I need to live for Jesus alone. And I'm going to close with this in John chapter 3. One of my favorite stories, I actually didn't really um, understand this story until this past week when I was soaping. Um, and it's John and his disciples and it goes on to say then there arose a disciple uh, or a dispute between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purification and they came to John and said to him rabbi rabbi he who is with you beyond the jordan to whom you have testified behold he is baptizing and all are coming to him and jesus or john answered and he says a man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven You yourselves bear witness that I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. And this verse stood out to me, and and I didn't even know it was in Scripture, but in verse 29 it says, this is what John says, He who has the bride is the bridegroom. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. I think that's so beautiful, right? Because what is John saying? Like, these people are not my people. Right? These disciples are not my disciples because the bride belongs to the bridegroom. You belong to the bridegroom. Your life belongs to the bridegroom. And I think that's so beautiful. And I love John's heart here how he didn't care that he was losing discipleship, losing followers on Instagram or Facebook or whatever, right? He didn't care about that. He knew, and then he goes on to say in verse 30, he must become greater, I must become less. And when we live for an audience of one, the way of Jesus, it means to lay down our lives and to pick up our cross and to follow him with everything in us. But what's great about that road is the end of that road, there's joy, there's purpose, there's hope. Right? There's life and life everlasting. That's why he says, I am the resurrection and the life. I can overcome things that cannot be overcome. Right? We ran out of that grave. We didn't like hobble out of that grave, Right? crawl out of that grave. He gives us hope and he gives us life. And you're in here and you don't know Jesus. I encourage you to talk to somebody because there's hope there waiting for you. There's purpose there waiting for you. And what's interesting about Jesus is I've heard it defined that we truly don't know who we are until we come into relationship with who he is. Uh, Let's go ahead and pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for today. I thank you for who you are. I thank you for what you've done. I just pray that you bless this time as we worship you, um, as we sing before you. Our chains are gone, and we're thankful for that, Lord, and we offer this time. It's not about us, Lord. We live for an audience of one.